Hey, I'm Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell. At its heart, reflections on history, literature, and music. Stories about individual journeys and struggles and victories. It's about Americans. America, or as much as I have seen. I've been teaching and coaching down here in my hometown of Melbourne, Florida, for the past 35 years. And three years ago, I wrote a book called Tending to the Past. Imagine that, Reflections of an American History Teacher. Since then, I've published a collection of poetry called Point South, mostly about my love for Florida. Surely a verse or two will slip in from time to time. Many years ago, a friend of mine gave me two cherished gifts, a book of Frost poetry and a John Prine record. Thanks, Ferg, wherever the twain shall meet. From there to Carl Sandburg and Hemingway to Jim Harrison, Jim Lepper, and old Jimmy Buffett, my gumbo of influences may help explain what you hear. So thanks goes out to all the links in the chain. Miles to go. Miles to go. Well, good evening. Welcome back to the porch. Kay and I have been sprucing up the place a little bit. Put some new lights up for the hurricane season. You never know. Anyway, I had a reading for you. Um, if you notice, uh, uh, several times this summer I was talking about media bias and a friend of mine pointed me in the direction of a new website, Ad Fontes Media, which has um, figured out some methodology about measuring media bias. And really, the person behind that was Vanessa Otero. And I uh, wanted to read you an excerpt from an essay she wrote, which is called Junk Food and Junk News case for information fitness. It's a little muggy out here tonight, so if you hear the fan, I'm sorry, I ain't turning it off. Junk food and junk news. We as humans have basic needs for several things. One of them is food, another is information. We're always, by necessity and want, taking in both. But we also, as humans, have a propensity for indulging in too much of a good thing to the point that we turn it into a bad thing. This is especially true when an indulging provides some kind of instant gratification, but long-term damage. Generally, our American habits around food consumption are highly analogous to the habits we have around news and information consumption. Similarly, the resulting problems we have because of those habits are highly analogous. We love junk food and we love junk news, and they're both wreaking havoc on our individual and collective physical and mental health and having detrimental effects on our whole society. We are trying to create a nutrition label for what is in your news, and that just makes sense. In many instances, we're simply unaware of what kind of content we're consuming in our news. Is it good, true, biased, opinion-based, analysis-based, or reliable? And how much is it of those things? Right now, there is no standard nutrition label that tells us what is in your news before we consume it. 
and it used to be that way for our food. I assert that we should at least have some idea of what we're getting into before putting it into our brains. In the 1950s and 1960s, fast food restaurants exploded in popularity and availability and have continued to grow ever since. However, since the 50s, we have become acutely aware of the drawback of both unhealthy fast food and processed food. Namely, that a lot of it has too much stuff in it that's just bad for us, like fat, sugar, and salt. The last 20 years when cable news began, the last 10 years when smartphones became available, and the last 8 or so years when social media really proliferated, have marked a similar explosion in the availability of all types of news and news-like information. Here I am distinguishing between news and news-like information, the latter being characterized by high levels of opinion and analysis and low levels of editorial review. In the realm of news-like information, we now have choices of multiple 24-hour cable news channels, thousands of online news sites and blogs, thousands of YouTube channels, and the constant promotion to us thereof through social media. There are certainly many benefits to this new era of information availability. Personally, I'm optimistic that more information availability to more people can and will lead to increased peace and prosperity in the world. Eventually, my pause, as it has time and time again throughout history. On a basic level, more people are able to know more things than ever before. However, we are now becoming acutely aware of the drawback of too much news-like information, that a lot of it has too much stuff that is just bad for you, like misinformation and bias. The reasons we're drawn to fast, processed, and generally unhealthy food and opinionated and biased news-like and generally unhealthy information are similar. We like fat, sugar, and salt because they taste good and because parts of our brain derive pleasure and reward from eating them. This is how our brains work. We're naturally drawn to good taste, good tasting, high calorie food for sustenance and survival. We like opinionated and biased news-like information because being right makes us feel good. Our brains are wired by confirmation bias, which is being more open to receiving information that comports with what we already believe. This is, again, how our brains work. It makes it easier for us to make sense of the world around us. We also consciously know that we should regularly seek out new information, including information that challenges our existing beliefs. However, it's easy to overconsume unhealthy food and unhealthy news, in part because each provides instant gratification. And the drawbacks are not immediately evident. The drawbacks, if any, come from long-term sustained unhealthy consumption, not from one-time or infrequent unhealthy consumption. It's even easier because those who produce food and information are well aware that our desires of our desires and are monetarily incentivized to exploit them. 
Media companies, of course, make more money when they attract a larger audience. Media companies have always relied on both subscription and ad revenue, but news production and distribution has changed. It used to be limited to large organizations who had invested a significant resources in journalists and print, TV, or radio distribution. But now, because of technology, there are thousands more sources available, and each is incentivized to monetize their source of driving clicks and views. Unfortunately, highly biased, opinionated, low-quality, and clickbait headlines and content drive revenue even more easily than high-quality, least-biased headlines and content. Not only have newer sites of questionable reputability uh, supplied plenty of low-quality, highly-biased headlines and content, but their proliferation has unfortunately caused historically reputable outlets to source to start providing some lower quality, highly biased content just to compete for audience share. We've come to the collective realization that as a society, that as a society, the consequence of unhealthy food consumption is an obesity epidemic. I submit that the consequence of an unhealthy information consumption is an extreme polarization epidemic. We are polarized because so many of us are consuming high quantities of low-quality, high-biased information. We are, on, <clears throat> we are only starting to study and realize the detrimental effects of overconsumption of low-quality and highly-based information. Many of us intuitively attribute the increased political polarization to this cause, but it's also highly possible that other detrimental effects are due to this overconsumption. For example, people's personal levels of anger, isolation, radicalization, or bad decision-making, I suspect, may be attributable to overconsumption of unhealthy information. Many people are blissfully unaware that they're suffering any ill effects from what they read and watch even though they're consuming intellectual equivalents of donuts and fries at every sitting. What to do about it? The most important thing to focus on is not what or whom to blame for these causes and epidemics, but what we can do to try to address and fix some of them. The consequences are extremely damaging, and it's imperative that we try to find solutions. The bright side of the food information analogy is that for the unhealthy food problem, we have created and implemented some effective solutions. Our existing solutions are by no means complete. We still have a lot of work to do, but we've made progress. One of the first steps in addressing unhealthy food consumption problems are making, was making knowledge available to consumers. Nutrition fact labels, as we know them, were only mandated as recently as 1994, and they continue to be refined as we learn more about nutrition. Currently, there is no equivalent nutrition label for information. Though I and others are attempting to create this equivalent, something reliable and widely recognized as reputable that tells people what is in their media content. 
there are a number of challenges for doing this, including the fact that trying to tell people what is good or unbiased is controversial. Another challenge is that knowledge alone, nutrition labels alone, doesn't solve the unhealthy food problem and obesity epidemic completely. So will the media rating information labels solve the unhealthy information problem and polarization epidemic completely? Almost certainly not. But can it make a difference and should we try? Almost certainly yes. The problem isn't even fully realized and identified yet. Namely, we have largely identified the fact that outright fake news, lies, deliberate misinformation is a problem. But do not, <clears throat> we do not realize the damage that is being done by news that isn't completely false, but is highly opinionated and biased. It's lurking, unidentified, unrealized, like the role of carbohydrates and sugars as dietary culprits used, used to be. Experts that <clears throat> thought that just eating fat was bad, that fat made you fat. Low-fat food became all the rage. The food makers added sugar, which turned out to be worse. We've seen internet giants, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube try to crack down on fake news without giving a thought to the role of the highly opinionated and biased news plays in polarization. That stuff continues to be so widely distributed, I think in part because it's highly profitable, but it also because these companies don't think it's unhealthy in the first place. Essentially, you can be healthy just by controlling your diet, but there's another positive, related thing you can do to combat unhealthy problems. Exercise. Stay with me here. Exercise actively combats the adverse effects of any past or current unhealthy food habit and has a whole host of other benefits. The exercise people can do to combat a bad information diet is participate in civic engagement, which we can call civic exercise. These include having face-to-face -face conversations with your political opponents, working on your own business or pr projects that you are passionate about, learning facts about law and government, voting, volunteering for political causes and campaigns, attending town halls, donating to causes you care about, and calling your elected representatives. Civic exercise can take the form of things that actually make a difference in democracy or relationships with your fellow citizens. Whether those things are big or small, while consuming Lots of unhealthy information can make you feel angry, sad, and powerless. Engaging in civic exercise can make you feel powerful, give you a sense of purpose and meaning, and create the feeling that you are making a difference because you actually are. The big question facing our society right now is how to address the polarization epidemic caused by our unhealthy information diet. We do everything we can to promote lifestyles of information fitness. How about that? Information fitness should be a thing. The fields of media literacy and information literacy. Info fitness doesn't really exist as a concept or industry right now, 
but the fitness industry didn't used to exist either. For the longest time, we knew very little about diet and exercise. What would information fitness look like? It would start with information nutrition labels, as we discussed before, so people would be aware of what they were consuming before deciding whether they should spend their precious attention on it. I don't think we need to define a perfect model for information, diet, and civic exercise, but I think we can identify some of the big things that are way out of balance in people's information diets. If you look back at the chart, media bias chart, you'll see it goes from fact-based reporting at the top to analysis in the middle to opinion down below that and outright misinformation below that. In this analogy, analysis content is like carbs in many ways. The vast majority of what is available for us to consume are various sorts of carbs. Analysis. Now, you definitely need carbs in your diet. They're important. But what you need is moderate portions of high-quality carbs, like whole grain bread or an article from The Economist. However, most of us are consuming vast quantities of white bread, mashed potatoes, and cereal, like watching a ton of CNN and reading all your favorite partisan online sites every day. Too much of this is unhealthy. What, we, <clears throat> what should we probably consume more of instead? I submit your least biased, most fact-based articles are like your vegetables and lean proteins. So we should probably focus on getting more of those with, as I mentioned, a healthy, high-quality, moderate portion of analysis, the old carbs. Most of MSNBC and Fox, though, are donuts and fries. They're okay in small quantities every once in a while. But for the love of God, don't sit and consume all those all day. With a combination of knowledge of what we are consuming, choosing to consume mostly healthy information, and engaging in civic exercise, people can become info-fit and fight against this extreme polarization epidemic. Submit that, I submit, that if more people chose to become info-fit, we can make a difference in our politics and in our personal relationships with fellow citizens. Amen. I'm working on doing what I can to help people become more info-fit, and I hope you'll do that too. That was part of an article, uh, excerpts from, uh, written by Vanessa Otero, the founder of Adfontis Media. Next time, um, if you look me up, we'll discuss um, how she proposes to measure political bias. I'm Jim McGinnis, Fair Winds.